Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. This podcast is produced wholly by me. There's no behind-the-scenes editor or producer. It's not connected to any network or sponsors. It's free for you to listen, always will be. But if you see the value in the Gig Life Podcast, you can leave a tip or a donation. You can find a link in the show notes on your podcast app or at thegiglifepodcast.com. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast in your app and catch up on all the other 100 plus episodes and everything else that's coming up. Right, well, my guest today is the mighty Lockie Doley, dubbed the Jimi Hendrix of Keys. Lockie Doley is one of the greatest blues, soul, rock organ players in the world today. Lockie's mesmerizing and viral live performances on YouTube and Facebook have been viewed over 20 million times in the last little while. He's played and recorded with the best Glenn Hughes, Joe Bonamassa, Jimmy Barnes, just to name a few. And 2022, we'll see him team up with legendary Roger Waters for his This Is Not A Drill tour. But Lockie's got a brand new album out, Studio 301 Sessions, a 14-piece band recorded live. It's just fantastic. This is episode 123, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mr. Lockie Doley. I think we're rolling. Lockie Dolly, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Cool, man. Excited. Yeah, yeah. Glad you're here. Um, congratulations on the new album. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, your studio three hour one sessions. Um, that's been out for what, about three, four weeks now? Yeah, three weeks now. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Came out the seventeenth. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and some chart. You're hitting the charts, man. You've um. I know. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't believe it actually. Yeah. Managed to um yeah, thirteen. Crazy. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, have you had albums that have charted before and, and if you have, what's the what's the feeling like this time around? Well, this is definitely the best result I've ever had, without okay. a doubt. Um I did get my two thousand seventeen album, Love Like. That got to number forty. But um so that was the first time I ever charted mm. and that was like I couldn't believe that. That was amazing. Mm. And um, But the thing about that one, I released it like in January, like January, oh. the second week of January or something. People, <laughs> so it would have been. People still listen to their Christmas albums. <laughs> that's right. It would have been like the slowest, you know, yeah. selling week of all time, <laughs> you know. So I didn't really have much competition, which was good. Right. Did you, um, um, did you have a say in when that was going to be released? Or did you weren't you just didn't know that January was a was a bit of a slow time? No, I planned it that way. Okay. Yeah, because my fans are pretty loyal. It doesn't really matter. Okay. What, oh, great. What, uh, what time of the year I release it? So I actually planned it to release it when uh, there wouldn't be much competition. Fantastic. Yeah, which I think is a big reason why that first album got into the charts because. Yeah, in Australia, I think it had only sold maybe four hundred or something like that. Right, maybe three three hundred or four hundred. Um, yeah, so uh, 
that was the plan with that one. But but it also did make the number one on the jazz and blue, jazz and blues charts, yep. which this one did as well. This one got number one on that, and yep. yeah, thirteen in the album charts, which is just insane. Like totally independent. Yep. Just pretty much just um, pre-sales, just me talking all through Bandcamp. Uh-huh. I haven't got any figures about what actually went through JB Hi-Fi, their pre-orders, but it wouldn't have been much, I don't think. So, mm. yeah, it's, um, I'm, yeah, I'm really happy and just so thankful to all the loyal fans and supporters I've got out there. Yeah, that's great. So have you got um, copies of that in the likes of JB Hi-Fi and that now? So now that people are going into the stores? Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, there's okay. a few in there. Um, only selected ones. It's only the ones that ask for it, really. Okay. Um, but uh, I think because it did chart, uh, yeah, there's a good chance that it might be in there. Um, it's the first day out of lockdown, so I haven't had a chance to go there, but um, yeah. I will go there and have a look. <laughs> it's probably not the first place you want to go after <laughs> on your freedom day. I, I noticed um, you, you've booked um, months worth of Pilates. Oh, yeah, yeah so, that's right. <laughs> so how, two days in, how's that going? <laughs> well, I didn't make it today. Oh. I didn't make it today. Um, but I went yesterday and I'm really sore. Are you? Oh, yeah, right. Man, because like I was like, I was absolutely killing it for a good kind of year. Yeah. And definitely the fittest I've ever been in my whole life and felt great um, even throughout, the, you know, the, um, the well, last year mm. we had a small break. Yeah, the lockdown then, but yep. um, yeah, this time I was like, yeah, I was just feeling really good and really, really still getting into it, and then the lockdown hits, and then I just had no motivation. I couldn't, yeah. couldn't get myself to do it at home. Yeah, couldn't do anything. So I'm now, just like that's, that's going a, back to square one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was sort of similar for me. Like last year, um, I don't know, it kind of all seemed like a little bit of a novelty. And, mm. and then it went away and it's like, oh, okay, we're back to it. And then um, I started playing soccer again and yeah. we were halfway through, halfway through the season. And then all of a sudden it's, it's done. It's shut down. Everything shut down. Oh. And, and it was a, it was certainly a lot, lot heavier this time around. I thought. Yeah. I think that's, um, I think everyone's felt that yeah. way this time. Yeah. And just the fact that it's gone on for so long too. Yeah. Yeah. It's been pretty brutal. Yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah, we still can't compare to Melbourne, I guess. No, but, no. Um, yeah, we're lucky. Oh, I feel for them yep. down there. Yep. But uh, I hope it goes the same way as here. Mm. I mean, everything's still going down, so. Yeah, that's good. Hopefully mm. they're just a month behind. Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> do you have, uh, I was going to ask this later, I might as well ask it now, do you have a tour booked now for for this album? Uh, not really, no. Mm-hmm. I've still sort of... um. I'm still just sort of like trying to do the few shows that I had booked okay. for late last year or the middle of last year. Right, which have all been sort of shifted. Yeah, shifted. they've just been moved so many times. The last time I played Sydney was March 2020 and I've booked four shows in Sydney since then mm. and every one of them has been moved. So, Oh, man. Um, <laughs> it's getting, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. So I'm just trying to I'm just trying to finish off shows. Um, uh I'm booked for Blues Fest. Okay, great. Yeah, which I'm super excited about. Fantastic. So that's um I've never played there as Lockie Dolly, which is right. Totally so, nuts. <laughs> so where, where so what uh, what group were you a part of when you played up there? 
Uh, in the past? Yeah. Oh, played there with uh, Chase's son, yep. um, Ray Beadle, mm. uh, Jimmy Diddle, The Hands. Um, oh, once or twice. Tom <laughs> Turner, Mighty Reapers. Uh, oh, yeah. Karma County. Um, yeah. <laughs> whole bunch. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> that's that's cool, man. Yeah, heck of a lineup this year for sure. Oh, yeah. it's going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, good stuff. Um, all right, man. I, if it's cool with you, let's um, let's roll back to really early days. Um, sure. And talk about um, you know you your um your upbringing, musical upbringing, and I know your I know your brother's a, a keyboard player, um, piano player. Uh, I don't know anything about the rest of your family. Um, is the rest of your family musical? And and well, for a start, where where were you born? So um, yeah, we uh, Clayton and I, my brother and I, we grew up in Adelaide. Yep. Um, just in the kind of little foothills of Adelaide. Um, back in the uh, back in the seventies and eighties, mm. and um, yeah, it's beautiful. It was a good place to grow up, Adelaide. I mm. think I certainly enjoyed it. But we both got out of there when we were um, about eighteen. When we turned eighteen, we kind of both got out of there. So he was he's three and a half years older than me. Okay. So I just kind of followed him in that sense. But um, yeah, I mean, as far as family goes, none of our parents were musical. Um, but we did have a piano in the house and um, mum and dad got divorced before I was even one. So I didn't even know, I didn't even know about, you know, I mean, I didn't, I just never had my dad hang, hanging around or anything. Okay. But uh, my mum was going out with this kind of pot smoking hippie, you know, um, guitar, blues guitar player called Baz. And, uh, <laughs> and basically he, he introduced Clay and I to blues music, you know, mm. he brought all these vinyls over and make all, had all these mixtapes, these blues mixtapes and stuff like that. And he'd jam, jam with us. And we'd, I think Clayton obviously started trying to emulate, you know, what they were doing on the piano and um and pretty quickly got really good and then i just was like oh man I, I wonder if i can do that as well and um yeah so we both started just jamming jamming with uh, baz and then you know um collectively kind of playing in his band like you know clay would play in baz's band and then you know, three and a half years later, I'd go play in Baz's band <laughs> and it sort of followed it, you know, yeah, yeah. following in his footsteps for, you know, um, a lot of the first part of my career. And, um, but yeah, it went from there and then I was playing in a couple of cover bands in Adelaide as well. And, um, yeah, discovered the organ. Um, and then, yeah, when I was 18, uh, basically, uh, Clay, had gotten the gig with Jimmy Barnes and um, actually, you know, it was Deborah Conway, Deborah Conway. And um, the band he was playing with, the Mighty Reapers, uh, needed a keyboard player and and um, I think I jammed with them one time when they came to Adelaide and they, um, they asked Clay about getting me to do it. So I was only going to go to Sydney for... Um, about a month and do these gigs and come back, but I loved it so much. I, You're still here. Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> Just going back to some of those albums um, that Baz used to um, bring along, can you 
can you think of who some of those those artists were? Some oh, of those yeah, albums? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of them were like uh, Elmore James because he liked to he liked to play a bit of slide. Um, there was lots of Muddy Waters. Um, John Lee Hooker, you always had John Lee Hooker there. Uh, Albert King. And then from there it sort of, you know, it sort of then crossed over into rock and roll and Chuck Berry and um, Little Richard and all those artists. And then, you know, Clay and I both discovered Jerry Lee Lewis from that as well. And that was a big, I think that was a big influence on me, Jerry Lee and and his style and the way he played. Um, yeah, just a lot of those albums and with so many great piano players on them, like Otis Spann and Pinetop Perkins. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing players on all all those old records. Incredible. Yeah. Were you was your head always in that type of music, or did you sort of have a have a stage where you kind of went away into more modern music into your teens, and you know, um, or was it always sort of? I've always been into. All sorts of music, okay. In a way, um, but performance-wise, I think it was always it was blues, yep, and then and then uh, soul and funk, you know, rock and roll in there in the early days as well. Um, yeah, when I was growing up, yeah, definitely sort of did that, and definitely got right into the funk when I was like, you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Just it was all about all about the groove yep. back then and um, which I oh, still am in a big mm. way. You mean um, you mean that, I mean, we, that kind of era like Meters and, and um, slight, you know, Sly and the Family Stone, that, that kind of funk or? Uh, that probably, probably actually when I was younger it was more um, more Parliament, yep. Funkadelic, okay. um, a little bit of the Meters but I never – I didn't really start getting into the meters so much until um, till I moved to Sydney. Okay. Yeah, so it was more like the, you know, James Brown, Parliament, Funkadelic and all that. Yep. That kind of stuff that I got into. And then I then I discovered, you know, I guess, yeah, almost like older funk, I suppose, mm. with the meters when I, when I moved to Sydney and just fell in love with yeah. all that stuff and all the New Orleans funk, you know, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's always been a, a big thing, uh, and yeah, then later, later in my twenties, it sort of, it, um, yeah, then it sort of started. You know, I started to find rock, you know, rather than rock and roll, especially playing with Jimmy, and then, and then um, lots of other opportunities, you know, playing with Glenn Hughes, mm. and uh, well, how, how, let's 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 go there. How did that come about? The Glenn Hughes, yeah. oh yeah, so that's um, that was through Jimmy. So at the time, I was playing with Jimmy, so about two thousand and three or four or something like that, I think it was. Um, and Glenn was in Australia, and uh, he was doing some recording with Jim at his studio, and uh, yeah, I just got a call from him asking if I wanted to come down and play some organ. Um, on this demo of, of Glenn's, he was in there and they were working on it. And, um, you know, and naively, I, I didn't even, I didn't know who Glenn was back then. <laughs> it's just so yeah. ridiculous. I was like, oh, sure. I mean, generally when and Jimmy asks you to do something, you you sort of drop everything and you, yeah, right. you 
getting over there anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's what I did. And, um, yeah. And I met Glenn and I was like, wow. And then we, you know, I heard this amazing voice on this recording and, um, I'll put some organ down and he was, he was really lovely and really, um, complimentary about what I was doing. And, and, uh, yeah. And it was, so that all happened pretty quickly. And then I left, um, I don't know what happened to that song, but, um, mm. a few years later when he was coming to Australia to do some shows, um, just some stripped back shows with a string section acoustic guitar. And he wanted, uh, he wanted some keys as well. Um, and he remembered me from that and he asked me to, to play on that, which I can't remember the year, but I, uh, maybe 2006 or something like that. Yes, it's on DVD. It's a, uh, we played at the basement yep. in Sydney um, with my half broken Nord keyboard. <laughs> I <had> like, <laughs> It was so sort of, well, I mean, you, you've probably seen the way I play. Yeah, you know, yeah. I treat them, I've, got, I've got questions about that later. But <laughs> <laughs> I treat them kind of a little bit mean and those yeah, early yeah. Nords, they didn't like it. They had a, a problem where they, this this little bit would easily break and then the key would kind of stick up a bit, <laughs> stick up like that. So I had like four black keys on this keyboard that were up like that and it was just like really hard to manage but I just didn't have the money to fix it back then and yeah. I somehow got through it. Yeah, yeah. Know. Yeah. With the organ, it's not so bad. It was when I was doing the piano because if it's sticking up higher like that and then you pr- press it, you're sort of bound to hit it a bit harder. Yeah, the velocity changes. Yeah. A bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, oh, it's funny. Yeah. yeah. When I look when I look back on that, the videos from that gig makes me laugh. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> and then, oh, yeah. And then after that, then um, uh, did more stuff with him much later when he asked me to to play on, to we flew me to Copenhagen to play on, his solo album, um, which was an incredible trip as well. We got to play with uh, Chad Smith on a track. Oh, and cool. Him. And then. Um, <laughs> but was was he, did you play in the room with him? Was it a live? In the room with him, yeah. Yeah, awesome. yeah we're, all, we're all in the room together. Yeah, the Chili Peppers were over in Denmark. Okay. For Ross Kilda Festival. Yep. And um, so just the timing worked out perfectly and Chad and Glenn are like best friends. So, um, yeah, that was that was quite a treat. <laughs> yeah, is, is he as tall as he looks on TV? He's pretty tall. Yeah, he's yeah. a big guy. Yeah, 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 mm. definitely funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, you talked earlier about discovering the organ. So, yeah, yeah. So what what was that moment? Who who was it that you saw, or was it something that you heard? And and how did you seek out seek out uh, the organ? Well, I guess if I remember correctly, it was um. I'm pretty sure it was the discovery of Booker T and the MGs. Okay. It was probably the first time hearing or at least noticing properly the organ, the Hammond organ. Um, and then Clay started playing in a band called Double Whammy and the organ player in that was a guy called Raf. And um, so... Raf was leaving to go to Melbourne, I think, and they got Clayton to play and they sort of, I think they kind of organised, maybe Clayton was using Raf's old Hammond or something like that. I can't quite remember. But I remember he brought it back home to our house and um, had it set up in the garage. And, um, yeah, I remember, so the very first time I played the organ, I think this is really important, 
was a real Hammond and Leslie, you know. The very first time I, I sat down at a at an organ, an organ it wasn't a wasn't a patch in a in a crappy digital keyboard. Yeah, yeah. It was yep. the real deal. And I just remember like running my hand up the keyboard, like up to the high notes and screaming it, you know, and the, the Leslie's just spinning fast and and I was just like what is this? This is amazing. It's like this incredible sound. And in the garage, I think it was quite a big garage. So had all this, you know, nice kind of reverb, I guess, sort of, you know, the Leslie throwing it all around the room. And um, it really was a sound like nothing else that I had heard. And the fact that, you know, I'm in command of it, I'm playing it here. And, mm. and uh, yeah, I'll never forget that moment. And, yeah, I think that's that kind of, set the tone for a lot of um <laughs> a lot of uh the love and and the way I play the Hammond today I remember just just loving that that power and that kind of scream that it had and um yeah I still do it's amazing <laughs> mm. did it take you long to I mean did when you first sat down there and you said you you slid your hand up and down the notes yeah did you get overwhelmed by the sliders and the buttons and the I mean, did pedals and was it like? Uh, a little bit. Um, yeah. To think the idea of ever being able to master it sort of um, was intimidating. But well, the, well, uh, sorry. So did you know? Did you know much about the Hammond organ before before Clay brought home? No. Okay. No. Right. No. So at the same time, Clayton was showing me the draw bars. Yep. And uh, he was still fairly new to it as well. I think I just remember it was like. You know, we just bring the first four draw bars out. And mm. I think for a year or two or something, that's that's all I ever had was the four draw bars out and nothing else. And um, that's kind of what I thought you did. Mm. And then it wasn't until later, you know, hearing other sounds and people saying, you know, you can use the draw bars, get these sounds and these sounds. and um, But still it was very much, you know, uh, use this sound or use this sound and then there's this sound and you'd have that sound for a song, you know. Yeah. But over time that and the Leslie I found a bit intimidating as well, this on and off speed of that of when to do that. I yeah. remember when I first started and then there was the percussion. I just didn't even worry about that, which is just a more like an, an extra kind of harmonic attack on the um, on the note. Um, yeah, it, that did sort of overwhelm me a little bit. So I just kind of stuck to my four draw bars for a long time. And the Leslie would be like, you know, I might change it at the start of a chorus or something like that. Or, But as time went on, it just became sort of more of a part of me. So the, the draw bars, I'm just constantly moving in and out to how I want it to feel. And same with the volume pedal mm. and the Leslie. Mm. Um, it's all just a part of, you know, how you want to take it, what sort of dynamic, what mood do you want? And, you know, you can move things incredibly quickly, you know, on and in and out, on and off um, to get a certain kind of effect or, or really enhance one particular thing. Um, it's a amazingly expressive instrument, you know, uh, much more expressive than I think a lot of people think, you know, and especially when in the three piece vibe. Yeah. You know, and you've got all that air and that space to really, you know, um, play with it. And, um, 
yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. I, you know, I, I never get tired or sick of playing it. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, so I got a few questions about the the maintenance and that kind of thing, and the the, <laughs> yeah. s- the setting up and the and the lug and yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and I remember seeing photos. Uh, th- I think this is when you were when um, you Joel and Jackie were last touring in Europe. Yeah, their photos and back, you know. In the back of the van and all, yeah. all this sort of stuff. Um, also, before we talk about the lugging around and that kind of stuff, um, yeah, the maintenance. So, so how mm. often are you having to um, spend spend time on it, looking after it, and um, is it preventative maintenance, or do you still do you wait for something? <laughs> do you wait for something to break and then fix it after? Or um, yeah, oh, a bit of both, a bit of both. Okay. Um, the Hammond that. I play live um, is my 57 C3, 1957 C3. Um, but uh, it's pretty damn reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the only thing that's sort of gone wrong with it lately was a modern piece of technology that I put inside it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which was in a hope to make it more reliable. Um, but uh, And what, what was that? Can you tell me what that was? Yeah, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah. so basically the... The, the Hammond is a, a giant kind of motor spinning all these different cogs and the cogs have different frequencies attached to them. Yep. So the organ itself to stay in tune has to be spinning at the correct speed. If it's going any faster, the organ will be sharp. Okay. And if it's going any slower, it'll be flat. Okay. And uh, when you play festivals and things like that, they have um, – Generators. A lot of them have generators, ah, and uh, right. the speed of the motor is um, is uh, completely related to the your, your incoming frequency. voltage and frequency. Yeah, right. The frequency. So yep. Australia's frequency of our power is 50, fifty hertz. Yep. To 50, 52, something like yep. that. I can't yep. remember. Um, yeah. So it has to be exactly that. But the generators, because it doesn't really, you know, at a festival. If that's a little bit out, it doesn't really affect too much, you know, but it does affect a motor in a Hammond big time. Okay. And um, so essentially I bought this brand new piece of digital technology, which is basically just a, um, in a weird way, it's a converter. Yep. It converts 50 hertz to 50 hertz. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so you get them for uh you know, if you bring an American organ over, which is 60 hertz, 60 you get hertz, a converter yeah. from 60 to 50. Yeah. But when you do that, it really is locked at 50. You know, you can put dodgy frequencies in and it'll stay 50. Okay. So this is the same thing, but it's just weird because you're converting from 50. You're converting from whatever almost, somewhere around 50. Yeah. Dead set. To stabilizing 50. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand but, electrics and electronics. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. So it... So what happened recently is um, we did a gig in Maroya down south on the, just before lockdown actually and it was freezing cold and it was a rush set up, you know, a festival small stage and um, got the organ on there, you know, you know, the six of us sort of lugging it around on stage because <laughs> there's not much room and all that sort of stuff and get it on there and I'm firing up and it just it wouldn't get up to speed like it wouldn't it, it would it actually somehow I don't, I don't quite understand but it locked itself an octave down 
so all the notes were an octave down and it was, yeah, it was useless. I couldn't, couldn't play it. Um, and I just was there for hours and we got heaters out and we we're trying to heat it up and all this sort of stuff. And yeah, it didn't end up happening. Um, so I always have, actually, I've got this little digital one. You can see yep. just a bit of it there. Yep, that's it. the new yep. digital habit. And I keep that in the car okay. as a spare. Okay. So after, you know, 20 minutes of fussing around with the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All six of us grabbed it again and got it back <laughs> off the stage and then started, you know, setting up the little one. I still use the Leslie though, the Leslie speaker. So okay. Still sounded great. Um, just looks a bit more like a toy. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, ironically, the the thing that went wrong was the new piece of gear right. that I put in there. <laughs> right. But having said that, they I, I don't have to do much to it at all. Oh, um, that's great. There's one reoccurring problem, um, which happens every maybe I don't know ten gigs, but it's easy for me to fix. I've just I know how to do it pretty quick now. I've just got to open it up, get the keys up, and I've kind of got to just jangle this. Uh, this key stop, which gets locked mm-hmm. and um, put it back together. It's not too bad. Mm. The, cl- the clav actually is more maintenance heavy okay. in the organ in a way. Right. <laughs> but yeah. More, more um, dynamically moving parts, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And sort of more fragile, I would say as okay. well. Okay. Um, it's uh but yeah, fully, fully, do you want me to talk about the clap? Yeah, or? well, yeah, I, I yeah. definitely want to know about the clap. So, is that um, uh, is that a modified instrument? Is it is? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. So, it's a a seventies clavinet, which is like you know uh, Stevie play on the uh, on superstition yep. and um, and a lot of the great disco stuff and a lot of funk stuff. Yep. Had the clav, a bit of rock stuff. Led Zeppelin used it a bit as well, and a lot of soundtracks. Um, but yeah, so it's a fully stringed keyboard. There's one string for every note and it kind of, it's like, it's like hammering a, it works kind of like by hammering a fretboard of a guitar. Basically, if you think of that, yep, it's pretty similar to that. Um, and it uses guitar gauge strings, guitar pickups. So it's got that same sort of, um, frequency range of, as a, as a guitar, you know, that kind of, right. that area. Um, but, uh, you know, it's always had a cool sound of its own, though, because of its the way you know the attack, and it's very stiff too. You know, it doesn't, and you can play it like a keyboard, obviously. Okay, it's, it's a keyboard. Um, and uh, sorry, is it weighted keys? No, it's okay. Just, no, I mean, no, not really. Okay. No, no, there's no real mechanism okay. behind it giving any weight. It's just yeah, just a just a spring. Push it down onto the um, onto the string. And the strings just oh, there's a little anvil. The strings, strings lying there, and then the hammer comes down, just bang. That's it. And then off it goes. And there's a bit of a dampener here to stop it from ringing on. Mm-hmm. It's all um, yeah. There's nothing much to it really, but uh, yeah. But in the uh, '70s, uh, saxophone player Buddy Castle designed this whammy this whammy bar system to go in it, sort of based on a on a Bixby whammy system on a guitar. Um, so it just goes along the bridge and, uh, yeah, big whammy bar sort of sticks out the, the guts of it and um, stretches all the strings at the same time, um, which is pretty nuts. Uh, but actually kind of makes it work really well because the ten- that kind of tension of the strings is the perfect 
just the perfect weight to sort of to to use the whammy bar. You know, it just sort of feels feels great having that, that just that right amount of tension there. Um, and uh, yeah, it just means you can get all this extra expression out of it. You know, and and it just it automatically ends up sounding very guitar like. Yeah. You know? Yep. And um, and it's sort of it's a bit hard to avoid. You know that kind of that that kind of sound, you know, because it's just it's just there. It's it's there when you do it, and because you have to use one hand, you know, you just you pl- you're generally playing sort of chords and and single note things because the other hand's on the uh, on the whammy bar. Just while we're talking uh, about, can I thing. so so people can hear it? Can I mm. can I play off? This is off your new album too. Can I just play a little bit of Voodoo Child because that, yeah yeah that's, sure that's so this is using a wah uh, yeah, so yeah the, the whammy yeah. whammy bar and the wah wah pedal as yeah, well. Cool. <laughs> if you want to hear the rest of that song, go buy the album, people. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, awesome. Um, yeah. So if if you didn't if you didn't know anything about Lockie Dolly and and the fact that he plays these instruments, yep, and you know, maybe you weren't a guitarist, you'd go, "Geez, that's a cool sounding guitar." <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. And you can hear the harmonics too, like, and they're they're not the kind of a natural harmonic that you get from trying to play guitar. Yeah, yeah. No, there's definitely there is definitely differences in there, yeah. but but it's real as well. That's the thing, you know. It's it has pickups and strings, and it feeds back. It does a lot of those things that uh, you know a guitar does. So, um, yep. yeah, to a lot of people, you know, it's just you would just assume you would assume it's guitar, guitar? and then uh, yeah. then you listen a bit more closely, and you're like, oh, actually, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. So I might have cut you off when you were starting to talk about the wah wah. So. Yeah, sorry. Talk a little bit about how that is. That is the Wawa part of it. Something you incorporated? Yeah, yeah. I do, I've. I mean, I used to play clav without the whammy bar for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Um, especially with my brother, we had a band called The Hands, and um, so that was always a part of my setup with the clav was the wah because, especially because, you know, you'd hit the keys and it was very sometimes a bit out of tune, mm. and uh, and but it was very you know you can't get any modulation or wobble out of it so i having the the wah pedal was a huge advantage for me just using the clav one thing it sounded great but um it was also like i could use it subtly uh for modulation i could also use it for you know make a rhythm out of the wah that wasn't there um and so i've always loved having the wah on the clav so when i got the whammy bar I just always had the wah there as well but um yeah I do I do plenty of songs without the wah pedal mm. um and just using the whammy bar um but yeah they just together they just work 
they work so amazing, mm. you know, just having that extra expression there with the wah pedal and the, the whammy bar and just, and just, you know, with the fast vibratos just slowly crawling the, the wah pedal in and stuff, you can just get the most sort of beautiful tones out of it. Um, I do a, I did a version of Sleepwalk, you know, that song, did a version of that uh, about a year and a bit ago. And yeah, that was a, that's using the wah, even though I, I'm, I'm not using the wah like a wackle wackle thing. Okay. I'm just using it as a real slow filter to go with the, the whammy bar. And um, it's sort of, it's almost like you're, you're finding a sweet spot on the wah for the, for the clav and the whammy bar to sort of take off or something, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do, yeah. You can yeah. do a lot of that kind of, you find just find that right spot and you wave of that, wave of the whammy bar and it's sort of. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. It's fascinating here you're talking about it. And, and I mean, obviously, just being audio, you, you're actually, um, yeah, you, you, you're playing it while you're talking to me. You've got your head down and you're finding those, <laughs> those <laughs> spots. It's cool, man. It's really cool to watch and listen. Um, yeah. Um, going back to the, well, I mean, this, this may apply to the clav as well, but you have an organ and and you're, you're playing and you talked earlier about, um, the percussive part of the Hammond being a drummer, being a drummer myself and, you know, listening to you play, um, you know, you're playing as you play a lot of notes, sometimes percussive notes. I'm curious as to the patterns that you play and the stickings. Are, are, yeah. are, they, are they, you know, you know, you'd know rudiments from drummers. You know, we we have our rudiments that yeah. we learn that kind of thing. Is there any of that type of thing in your playing? Like certain patterns that you've practiced, sort of off off the organ, like on your lap or something like that. Like a um, no, or Jack, not really. Or Jackie's gone. Hey, man, that's a <laughs> double paradiddle something. You know, <laughs> no, it's nothing uh, like that. No, no, nothing like that. <laughs> I just, just, I just that started. I'm just, I just overthought that too much. Then, <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. Not at all. Um, no, but it really came. Uh, I, th- I think a lot of the way I play has come from almost my limitations in a way, like, um, mm. or my laziness. <laughs> um, like, a lot of the interesting and sort of peculiar things that I do. I think we're often trying to find a, another way or an easy way to do something that I didn't want to spend the time practicing on or, or trying to get too into or something weird like that. And then, um, and then all of a sudden it becoming a thing, you know, doing it so much that it becomes a thing on its own. And, and a lot of that rhythm kind of came about that way, you know, like I was playing the piano and, um, you know, just at the piano, so with no bass player, but I wanted to fill in that sound. And I was like, oh, couldn't be bothered learning this complicated bass line. And I'd be like, just sort of chopping away and just filling in all the gaps. So every time I wasn't playing anything with my right hand, I'd hit something with my left, either two things pretty quickly, two different notes, and then my right hand would do something and then my left hand would do something. And it was this kind of, mm. so instinctively it was this kind of on off thing with each hand or, or finger kind of thing. Um, 
I don't know what, this is not video. It isn't, <laughs> I shouldn't be <laughs> worrying about the video, um, seeing my hands, but, uh, uh, if you could see me, I'm flapping my hands all about. Yeah, he's got two <laughs> fingers in one ear and he's got one up his nose. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it, it, it kind of, a lot of the percussive stuff, I think, sort of graduated from that um, and just really became a thing that I could kind of fill in every kind of 16th or every triplet if I wanted to mm. with either a two-note or a three-note pattern in my left hand and then... A, a, a two chord thing in my right or the one chord or just two stabs with the right or, or whatever, but it just became, and then I could kind of move anywhere I wanted to on the keyboard, eventually doing those little patterns um, and just sort of doing them quite ridiculously fast in a way, because it's kind of a bit more super fast run with that hand, super fast with that hand or, or just even left, left, right, left, right, left, right. And just, you can just do that so fast. Um, yeah, that little bits of that even just became natural when I wasn't doing percussive stuff, you know, it would just, okay. it would come out on, um, you know, when I'm just going to one note, you know, I wouldn't just be hitting the note. I'd be doing a little to that note, you know, or yeah. lots of that triplety sort of stuff to emphasize notes rather than just a, like a run up or a, yeah or just different ways to give each note weight and things like that. And, um, yeah, it just sort of, it just, it's so, it's almost impossible for me to not do these days. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's so sort of just a part of what I do, you know, yeah. I can almost probably never hear me just turn a note on without a bit of a ticking or a ticking or a you know. Almost, not quite. Obviously, yeah. But, well, um, so in saying that, then when you when you do sideman stuff, um, do you f- you have to tell yourself to kind of pull back, or is that is that part of the reason why that person's got you to come and come and play with them? Um, bit of both, I think. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll definitely. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have got any gigs if I was just you know, spewing my stuff all over, all over the place, all over their songs. Sure. You know, uh, I probably did that a little bit more when I was younger. younger. Yep. Um, but no, there's those things. I know they sound very full on at the moment, like that percussive stuff, but it can actually be incredibly subtle and, um, and really sweet as yep. well. So it's not this kind of bombastic thing, even though it's the same motion. But uh, especially with the draw bars and the volume pedal and the and everything that goes with it, mm. it becomes a yeah, it can become a really sweet thing, just an emphasizing thing that uh, someone might not even notice until you took it out, and then it would be like, oh, that sounds different. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, a little bit of little bit of both, I think. With that. Sure. <laughs> um. You play with a lot of phys- physicality, um, you know. Yeah. You know, this is this is on the Hammond. And when we talk at the Whammy, your, your arms go, you're up, you're standing, you know, you're moving all over the place. Um, injuries. What sort of injuries have you? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect you to say that. No, no, I didn't think you would. Um, uh, you would have heard the story. And when I think Whammy, I think of Pete Townsend and, at Townsend. And he, he does that. 
you know the the helicopter thing with his hair. Oh and, yeah, and, yeah. And he was uh, he was playing oh, wow. a gig with Simon Phillips, the drummer Simon Phillips, the poster behind me. And yeah. I, I, I talk about him because just on Sunday we that, that podcast I told you we were doing. Yeah. Um, it was it was all about Simon Phillips. So anyway, oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so doing a deep dive into that, I, I I um listened to an interview that that Simon Phillips did, and he was talking about playing in Pete Townsend's band. And one time, Pete was in front of him, <laughs> and his his the whammy actually went straight through his hand. Oh, so, <laughs> so yeah. So you know he pulled it out, right? So I, I, I'm not I'm not suggesting anything that dramatic has happened with your your whammy clav, but no, <laughs> it, it just made me think about <laughs> um, yeah, what I mean. Have you you know whacked it too hard or or mishit it or um, no, no, I haven't. Not with come the, off, uh, come off your stool or flipped over the front of your Hammond or oh, I've done things like that. <laughs> stuck yeah. your head in the in the Leslie and knocked yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my head's too big to do that. <laughs> Literally as well. Yeah. yeah. Um it's a uh, no, so with the whammy whammy clav, I had a few people go, have you ever like got your fingers stuck underneath the whammy bar when mm. it goes down? In the and slot funny. in the slot there too. Because you got the, yeah. the slot where the whammy bar goes through. Yeah. I sort of had never thought about it. Like at all, like it never happened. I never thought about it, but as soon as I, as soon as that was mentioned to me, I all of a sudden got a bit worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm doing it, I sort of think about it once, and but then it goes away. It goes away, luckily. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I think I don't know. It's just I'm not, it's just not you know. It's all sort of automatic when I'm up there. So sure, I think sure. I don't think that's I have to worry about that. But yep. but. Uh, if actually on, I think it's on Voodoo Child from the new album. Mm-hmm. There is a point because okay. I leave the the front bracket off off the clav, so all the machine heads are exposed at the front mm-hmm. where the string ties to. They're all along the front, so you can easily tune them. But um, you know, just like on a guitar, when you you know you change a string, you chop the excess string off. There's a you know a sharp little pointy bit of string there. Um, so yeah, I think I just. I went down on the, that last note of the solo on the whammy clav and I, I usually use it with my left hand, but in this case I went over and used it with my right hand so I could do this big low bend on the like the low note going up to the um, the E flat and sit on that because it's just I know it hits it perfectly and I could slam it down. Yeah. And then somehow I just I just hit, clipped my thumb on the um, – on one of the strings underneath the front there. So you see me, I'm like this on the clip. It's bleeding. <laughs> but, that, I mean, that's one of them. But I've done heaps of things like, you know, my ankle, I've stepped on the, you know, jumping up and down, I've stepped on the, the side of the drum stool. Yeah. You know, it's like a right. three-pronged thing or whatever. And, yeah. And just rolled my ankle. I've done that quite a few times. That's really bad. Jeez. Um, yeah, just sort of, yeah, trip over wedges. <laughs> You know, we put the foot off the side of the the little rollout stage riser. Yeah, it's um nothing too bad. Yeah. Nothing too bad. Hopefully, hopefully I'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when did you um when did you first discover you could sing? Ah, oh. well, I thought I discovered I could sing when I was 
about, what was I? I was 10. Yeah, exactly 10. When uh, we had a holiday up to um, Brisbane for the World Expo, so 88. 88, yep. And um, they had a booth there or a, a part of it. I, I remember seeing it on the TV, so I knew it was there and I wanted to do it. Um, it's like basically recorded karaoke. Mm-hmm. You go in there and they had these backing tracks and then they had a big microphone and you just sung over the top of it and then they gave you a cassette afterwards. And um, I did Wild Thing <laughs> by the Trogs. And, uh, and I, I remember getting the cassette and just thinking, wow, wow, this is amazing. I can actually sing. So for ages I thought I was like quite a good singer until um, – until like I had to start singing at gigs, and then it was just like, oh my god, you're a terrible singer. This is this is the worst. And uh, it took me a long time to really build up any confidence again to start singing. And um, after I, yeah, just fell down to earth, and um, but slowly got better and slowly worked out what I could do well what I just know I can't do and then yeah discovering new things as well in my voice and and then tailoring you know tailoring my songs to the way I sing I suppose okay. and things like that I'm I'm not a singer as such like a real definition of a singer I just uh, I I just feel I can sort of know what I can do well and I uh, try and play to those strengths you know, similar to what I do on keyboard in a way as well. Um, and, um, yeah, and I just, uh, yeah, luckily, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite happy with sort of where my voice has gotten to, you know. Mm. I'd, I'd still love it to be way better than it is, but, um, you know, you've got to work with what you can and try and make the most of it. And luckily I think there's something there that kind of people like and sounds pretty, something sounds pretty bloody good to me. <laughs> Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit polarizing. I think much the same as my playing. You know, a lot of people really like it, and then a lot of people uh, don't like it. I, I, <laughs> I, I think it's it's unique because it's it's deep. Oh, you know, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I like about it. very very yeah. very unique. It's deep, yeah. but trying to be high. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we go into detail about your album and the nuts and bolts of that, um. You have on your bio that you're playing with Roger Waters next year. Yeah. Wow. Tell us about that. People who don't know who Roger Waters is, he was the original bass player and songwriter, singer well, uh, for um, Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's uh, that's just amazing. Like it still yeah. doesn't even feel real. Like it's <laughs> happening. Um, so I'm going over in June next year for rehearsals and then North American tour, uh, July to August. Um, just insane venues. Um, mm. the way I explain it is that Madison square gardens is the smallest venue on the whole tour. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, crazy. Mm. And, um, but that's all well and good, but just the, just playing with a legend yep. is like Roger Waters and, and those, songs and those sounds, you know, it's all, it's just all, all the sounds I love, you know, it's, um, 
you know, the organ, the piano. He, he even wants the whammy clav, which is which I'm stoked about. Yeah, awesome. Um, and, uh, and then all the amazing synth sounds as well, which I haven't really delved into, but there's another keyboard player who's been doing it for years who's, got all, who's doing all that stuff. So I'm just doing the, um, the organ and the piano. Yep. And uh, and whirly and I'll oh, probably probably some other things in the, on the clav, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that was crazy. That so that happened early 2020. Um, so early last year, I got a call from his manager, and <laughs> I think I think it was like an, it was a number I didn't know. I looked international. I just figured it was. Um, <laughs> one of those hoaxes dodgy spam or hoax or yeah, whatever yeah yeah you know but they normally don't leave a voicemail but this mm. left a voicemail i was like oh okay you know so i had to listen to the thing it's like um oh yeah it's mark samick here i um i manage an artist called roger waters <laughs> oh, oh right okay um yeah roger would like to uh, chat with you about uh, potentially joining his tour his uh, North American tour uh, later on in the year. Um, you know, please give us a call back or when you can. And, you know, of course, I just rang straight back as soon as I heard it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I spoke to Mark for a bit and then and Roger called and, yeah, spoke to him for like an hour probably about he was telling me stories, you know, things on the road and, mm. um, and you know, how, uh, you know, uh, previous tours and, and incarnations of the band and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I had a great, great old chat with him. And then we organised to do some remote sessions. So I did one remote session playing Hammond on and Whammy Clav on a couple of songs of his, new and old, a couple of Floyd ones as well, um, at uh, Rancom Street Studios. And then we did another one in March 2020 <laughs> at 301. And I had him on Skype for that one. That was nuts because it was meant to happen at 10 p.m. And uh, so I got there at like six or something and we set up the organ and recorded, got it all set up sounding beautiful. And then it was going to be using some system that was going through Pro Tools to him over yeah. in the UK. I think he was in the UK at that time. Um and all that stuff. And then it was just a, it was a tech nightmare. Like nothing worked. <laughs> it was just, oh, and I was just getting so tired as well, you yeah. know, and then it comes on to like, you know, midnight and we still haven't got anywhere and everyone's getting frustrated and mm. nothing's talking to each other. Yeah. And I think by two in the morning or maybe even later, we just went with a dodgy Skype thing on the side <laughs> and and I, I think he was just getting audio through and video through that, I think. Like, oh, no, I think we got sort of the audio working but not the video. I don't know. It was very convoluted and we made it work somehow by about 2 in the morning. And, yeah, then for like three hours or four hours I was playing on his tracks um, till till dawn the next day basically just putting ideas, taking direction from him. You know, he's going, oh, can you – he was really particular about all sorts of things. It was great. Like he's like, oh, that's good. Um, can you uh, can you cut the the length of that note off a little bit long? Uh, make it a little bit shorter there, and mm. then hold this one a little bit longer. And oh, that's good. Or or yeah, um, or you know, don't play quite as many notes in that chord. Or or, or what? He just had a really he just 
he just really knew what he wanted in his head and it was just so easy to to follow him which was great and um and I think he was impressed that I, anything that he wanted from out of the organ with the draw bars or anything I could just do naturally and and I think he really liked that and then after that he said yep yeah, let's do it and then pretty much the next day it all got cancelled because <laughs> of COVID. Yeah, yeah. So I got the gig, then the tour got cancelled and uh, and it's just been yeah, postponed by two years. So next year, hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll all, it'll all happen. <laughs> oh, man. And you know with a Roger's, Roger Waters show it'll be visual as well because he, oh, yeah. you know, he, he puts a lot of um, lot of effort into that side of things. So that's, oh, that's awesome. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's just super exciting. Mm. Um, yeah, a lot of, it's with all the craziness that's going on in the world, there's, yeah, um, I can't say I'm not happy about the exciting things that are sort of opportunities that are happening and, are, and coming up, that's for sure. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been very, very blessed and lucky. <laughs> Fantastic. Congratulations. Okay, let's talk about the new album now, eh? Studio 301 Sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where did when did the idea come into your head? Um, well, actually, before I before I say that, just explain to everyone what 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 this project is. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, in a nutshell, it's a um, a live studio performance. So we played live as if we we're at a gig, um, and we did have an audience of 20, 20 people in there, all wearing headphones. So there was no PA. Uh, so the sound is really good. It's just like being in recording in a studio, except, you know, a bit of spill from drums and a couple of other acoustic things. But generally it's that that kind of studio quality. And um, But still with all the excitement and that kind of uh, and that fun aspect of, of playing live in, you know, in, a, in the songs and the, and, uh, and the performance. So which I think is perfect for me because, you know, I just, I love playing live and all my favourite versions of any of the songs that we've recorded ultimately end up being a live one, you know. Right. Um, from some gig, I'll go, oh, yeah, that's my favourite version of that, the one we... Um, so it just, yeah, I, I had a feeling, I had a feeling it was going to be something really special and... and um, yeah, I mean that's that's the concept in a nutshell. That um, the way it came about was I did a similar one with uh, Ray Beadle, incredible guitar player, blues yep. guitar player, Sydney guitar player, and um, he was doing it hasn't come out yet, but he was doing a like a stacks kind of review album um, of songs that were on. Um, so it was a. It was all the blues tracks on the Stax label, yeah. So they're not super known for their blues tracks, but they did have a couple of great blues artists on that label, and he wanted to do a play tribute to them on this sort of recording. And um, it was a similar thing. It was at 301 and 20 people, and, uh, and you know, we played live. I think we did it a little bit different. We did a couple of songs twice on that one and stuff, so it was a little bit more wasn't quite so um, like a gig, but uh, it was just great. It, it sounded amazing. It was so much fun. As soon as we did it, I was like, oh, I really, really 
want to do this. This would be so cool. And I thought, I think it was about, that was probably like February this year we did that. And I thought, oh, I really want to do this. Um, and I looked at the calendar and it was like my birthday was coming up. I said, oh, wouldn't it be cool to be able to do something special on my birthday? And then, you know, it might make it a bit more uh, easier to get some of the people to play on it as well if I say it's my <laughs> birthday. <laughs> Built them into it. It's a birthday present, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it was great. I, ended, I just ended up getting, you know, as many as many of my favourite musicians as I could to come mm. um, to come play on it. So, you know, I managed. I got my brother to come play. I got, um, you know, Mahalia to sing. Uh, I got Karen the Andrews to sing. Uh, I got the horns in. So I got, excuse me, I got Ray Kasser, Matt Keegan, Andy Bickers, and um, Anthony Cable. Um, I got uh, Juanita Tippins and Beck Jensen to sing as well. Uh, I got Franco Raggett to come in and play guitar. Yep. Um, and also Vincent Sebastian, who I hadn't met before. Mm. It was just uh, recommended to me by Declan, Declan yep. Kelly. Yep. Um, uh, and he came in, he didn't even know the songs, so, and he just smashed it. It was yep. amazing. Yep. Um, and he gets incredible. a little solo too, doesn't he? He does, yeah, yeah, yeah at the end, yeah. that's right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, he was just an added bonus, which is just really the icing on the cake. But um, it just turned out so well, and there's just so much love in the room, and yeah. having such a good time, and everyone just played incredibly. Mm. And um, and obviously Jackie and Joel, you know, oh, we played yeah. together mm. so many times for, for so many gigs. It's like um, they just, you know, absolutely perfect and um, perfect playing. And uh, and they just they just know they know me so well they know exactly what I'm going to do, and um, but but everyone just fitted in. I mean, we only had a small rehearsal with the horns, just me and the horns at, at Ray's place, and they just you know they can just follow. They're they're that good. We're all doing it live. There's no like let's stop and mm. and uh, do that again. It's just like, yep, you know. There's a few times where you know I go off form because I inevitably can't do something the same way twice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, they just follow and it's just, yeah, they just made it so easy and, and um, yeah, just turned out better than I could have imagined. You know, I, I didn't know if it was going to be an album or if it's just going to be videos. I didn't know if I was going to use the whole thing or just yep. put out, you know, five or six songs or something, the best five or six. Yeah. But the whole bloody thing turned out. Incredible. So I'll put the whole thing out. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What I, um, it, you know, one of, one of many things I like about it is, you know, you, you get a lot of albums these days and 25 minutes, 32 minutes, yeah, go out to 40 minutes. But, you know, this is, this album is an hour and 20, hour and 22 minutes I've got here. Yeah. Yeah. From, there is actually from, one, there is one song off the CD because uh, yeah, okay. I couldn't fit it. Yeah, uh, okay. I, I just yeah, the CDs only can only fit so ninety minutes, I think. Right. So I did have to leave one song off of that. Right. Um, but yeah, that's the yeah, it's about as long as CDs can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it's great, man. I love it. Um, and my my favorite, uh, I mean, I, I love I love your take on on um, voodoo voodoo child. I, I think it's awesome. But um, only cure for the blues is the blues. Oh, that's awesome. Love it. <laughs> That's, oh, thanks. That's, yeah. That's great. That's a funny song, that one. Like mm. it was, um, 
I remember I was just searching for a, a cool a cool song idea for a blues track and and that came into my head and then I thought, oh, that's got to have been done. Like that's got to be a blues song already. <laughs> the only cure for the blues is the blues. Yeah. Man. And I thought, oh, yeah, for sure. So I went out to Google and I was like, all right, it's going to be here. Here it comes. <laughs> come up, it's going to come up straight away. Yeah. Oh, nothing there. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to Spotify, have a look. Mm, nothing there, YouTube, nothing there. I was like, yes, Sweet all right. <laughs> I'm going with it. I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm going to do it now before someone takes it. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, now you mixed and mastered it yourself too, yeah? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Right, so when did you first get into that aspect of of your music? And and was um, it was it um was it out of necessity, you know, cost cost wise you chose to do yeah. it yourself or did you want to do it for the artistic No, it was definitely a, a cost thing. Okay. And a um yeah, I mean I'm a bit of a control freak as well when it comes to that sort of stuff as well, especially like, you know, Hammond sounds. Yeah, right. Um things like that. Um you know, a way a lot of musos are for better or for worse. Um, so in the past, I had mixed a lot of my albums. I didn't, I mixed half of the first one. Actually, no, all of the first one. Um, just trying to think. Actually, I think I mixed pretty much all of my stuff until Make or Break. And then, um, yeah, I got someone in to do that. And that turned out excellent, but was uh, very expensive, unfortunately. Mm. Well, not unfortunately, it's just the way it is. But, um, oh, yeah, so Paul McKercher was the guy who mixed it here. Um, yeah, he did an awesome, awesome job. And uh, But, yes, very expensive. And that was all mixed out of the box too. Um, so for this one, it was just like, all right, we'll just see how I go. And um, uh, if I like... If it's if it's mix if it's mixing itself easily, then we'll just go down this this route. But if it's not, then and it's becoming too much of a hassle, I'll get someone to do it. But yep. you know, with fourteen tracks, it was going to get expensive, and um, mm. and in the end, I, I got it to a place that I was really happy with, and because it's a live recording, you know, the sounds are all pretty similar. So yep. I didn't once I got it to where a place where I liked it, it wasn't too hard to. Um, to uh, mix the whole album from there. But I did get quite anal about it. I, you know, I was cutting out all the bleed from, yeah, because, right. you know, the, my vocal mic at times was pointing right at the drums and I really wanted to get that studio sound and that compressed sound. So I was doing a lot of, um, you know, cutting spill out and things like that so I could really, really kind of give it some, give it some oomph and some vibe. Yep. But if you listen to it, it's definitely, um, yeah, it's definitely pretty, Definitely got the compressors working. That's for sure. The drum, <laughs> the drums sound fantastic, especially that that sort of fat Jackie's fat oh. snare drum. Like the bottom, you can hear the bottom end in that drum. <laughs> that thing's out of this boom, world. That snare, boom. Yeah, you can. Yeah. You just feel that bottom note. You know, it's it's great. It's awesome. <laughs> the funny story behind that. Okay. Second second snare. We're in um, we're in Europe, traveling from I think Italy. Then we had to go to Canada, but via the Netherlands. And um, and uh, our uh, 
my booking agent at the time, Martin, who um sadly has passed away in the last uh, for a few months ago. That um he was with us and he'd had an accident with a um a nectarin and <laughs> poor guy had bitten into a nectarin. He doesn't admit it. He never admitted it, but I think he thought it was an apple. Um <laughs> and he and he broke his front tooth. And um so we initially had the tickets booked to go all of us to the Netherlands. And um then he would get off and we'd we'd fly off to Canada. So we got to the airport and we checked everything in. Um, Jackie's snares, you know, my clav, all the bits that we had to take. And we checked, yeah, we checked in and then <laughs> we were just waiting for the plane. I think it got delayed or something. And then Martin goes, oh, I've got to get back. I've got to get home. You know, I can't wait around here. I'm, look, I'm just going to get the train. You know, I'm going to get the train there, you know, stuff this. So he goes and gets the train back to the Netherlands <laughs> and we fly off to Canada. But then we realise that the snare drum and something else was on to his baggage. name, <laughs> oh, <laughs> So they just never arrived in Canada. And it's like, oh, man, come on. So... Luckily, it wasn't the clav. Luckily, I had the clav. Yeah. And then Jackie is resourceful as ever. He yeah. knows someone everywhere. Yeah. And um, he had a, uh, a, a, I think, some sort of boutique drum maker that he knew over there. And basically, you know, probably I think we went straight there from the airport to go pick them up. This uh, incredible fat snare and then a more standard size snare. But that fat snare, that big one, mm. that is just he always has a fat snare. He's got a few different ones, but that yeah. one in particular is just like something insane about it. Yeah. So you can just put a mic in front of it and it just goes, boosh. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible, really. Yeah. It's, it's out of this world. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so um, where can where can we get your album? Where can Is it still available um, yeah. CDs, vinyl and stuff like that? That's right. There's, a, there's about 30 vinyl left, I think. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, all available from my website. So um, just lockydolly.com slash 301 if you want to go straight there or just go lockydolly.com and I'll find put, a link to it. I'll put a link in the show notes here. Awesome. Awesome, yep. yeah. Or even any dodgy spelling of Locky Dolly will, will get you there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, some of the shops too. Yeah, some of the JBs should have the CD and the vinyl is unfortunately incredibly delayed. Uh, so well, it'll potentially be sold out before they ever reach the shops, I think. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's a good thing as well. That's a good but, thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's the easiest way, just my website. Yeah. That's cool. Um, Going back to the pronunciation of your name, like I've seen yeah, a couple yeah. of – you put a couple of posts, pronounce this and it's like – the. Can you can you share some versions of what people have thought your <laughs> thought your name sounds like? Where where oh. you where you have to spell it out for people? Well, it's always funniest when you're in um when you're in Europe. I think <laughs> obviously, yeah. um, Australia is totally fine, obviously, okay. but um, yeah, Europe and Italy and it's like uh, Leishi. Get that one a lot. Lychee. Like a lychee. Right, yeah, yeah. Lychee. Lackey. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. 
just so they all pr- pretty much just yeah, lots of lackey and lychee and lacy, lackey and dooley and <laughs> dooley and just yeah, yeah. You get some pretty far out ones there. <laughs> Jackie always likes to say like, uh, what was it? Lincoln de Julio or something. I think he like he, he exaggerates them a little bit more than they actually yeah, were, but right. they have been some pretty outrageous ones yeah. in the past. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be funny to, uh, I was thinking it'd be great to have them all on video and be able to like do like a clip where they just sort of one after the other. Ladies and gentlemen, Lashi de Julio. But uh, oh. yeah, and they get the same thing in America too. They, they I don't think Lachlan is a um, common word, word over in, common name over in, in America, yeah, at all. it is in New Zealand. Some guy it's, actually, it's very common in New Zealand. Yeah, uh, yeah, I had quite a few uh, friends, Lachlan, when I was still living in New Zealand. I had a funny comment on that thread that I put up a thread the other day. You know, just saying, you know, this is how you pronounce my name. Yep, and very cheekishly saying, um, like, uh, uh, this is actually how you pronounce my name. It's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> just buy one of my albums. It all, it all links yeah. back to here. Yeah. <laughs> click, click this. But, uh, some guy put on there, someone put on there, this is absolute nonsense. If you want people to pronounce it Lockie, like L-O-C-K-Y, then your name should be Lockie. This is this is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> what? Like, what do I do? It's my name. I was named that way. How did you reply? Did, have you ordered the vinyl yet? <laughs> no, I just didn't reply. Yeah, yeah, no, I never, no, no. Yeah. I never reply. I learned that. I learned not to do that a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Um, I was going to ask this. I'll just quickly ask this now. You, you've got one, one of your songs that's had you know over four and a half million, um, you know, views on Facebook. Yeah. Um, what does that do to you? I mean, do you do you feel a like after seeing a a, a video go? viral do you feel any sort of pressure after that to try and match it or do you know <laughs> once it's yeah yeah is it is that a silly question I, i'm just that hot you know the whole viral thing is it fascinates me yeah like uh yeah i mean i, I do it does set a goal i suppose after okay. it happens that you always compare to or a uh, mm. you know and which which you know, I've had I've had viral videos a few times now. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, I suppose you do. You know, if it doesn't sort of really take off, you're always a little bit like, no, what was wrong with that?" But, um, <laughs> but sometimes you, yeah. Some, yeah, sometimes the things that you think are going to go nuts don't go they nuts. Don't go nuts. Yeah. And then some of the ones that you just didn't pay any attention to are the ones that take off. Like um, the, the song that you're talking about. Is one of mine called "Stop Listening to, to the, the Blues"? Blues yeah. Um, so that's, and that was the video version of that song from Broad Beach in 2016. Um, that was kind of my second video that kind of went a bit viral, but that one just, that one just kept going and is still going, mm. um, and it still baffles me a bit because it's a. Um, it's not flashy like some of my other ones. It's just a bit of it's a boogaloo, and it it's cool as though like it just feels good. Just you know, just it's that kind of groove. But um, yeah, something about it. I think maybe the name of it also has something to do with it. You know, it's a bit of a like 
stop listening to the blues. What, what do you mean, stop listening to the blues? Yeah, check this uh, out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think right. that's got something to do with it as well. Right. But, um, yeah, but as, with all the other things, it was interesting. Like um, in 2015, I played a festival called Mitchell Creek Festival uh, in Queensland, and that was kind of the first one I really properly videoed and uh, and recorded. And I was putting, you know, I was happy with probably half of that performance and I put out all the videos and there's a video of Downtown Small Town, song of mine. And, uh, you know, I put them out. They were out for six months or whatever. You know, just ticked along, had a, had a couple of views, mm. you know. Um, and then I thought, oh, I really love the solo that I did in... Um, in downtown small town on the organ, you know, mm. and and then I started to learn more about that. People don't even get that far into a song, you know, these into a video. Really, yeah. most people just, you know, will watch 10, 15 seconds or whatever, and yeah. and then go to the next thing. Yeah. And I thought, oh, oh, that sucks. Um, all right, I'm just going to make a video of the solo. Just started at the solo, and uh, yeah, I did that. And then, then all of a sudden, bam, like it was just getting shared to all the keyboard forums around right. Facebook and, and off Facebook and and just getting all these comments from all these, you know, people saying, wow, I haven't seen anything like this, you know, since the 70s, you know, Hammond played like that. And, mm. and, and oh, it's like, you know, keeps getting all these comparisons and all this other stuff and just, just kept on getting shared and shared. So that was the very first kind of taste of that happening and then then came the stop listening to the blues um and then various other things and then oh yeah and then of course <laughs> the whammy clave came after that and then that was a whole new mm. completely completely different reason um though just because of the uniqueness of it that's it um that i had a few viral videos with that and continued yeah and i continue to get these uh sort of semi-viral videos. Um, but the Voodoo Child one, there's a there's a clip of me playing Voodoo Child, which was handheld by my friend and business partner, Kieran, who um, he just filmed it while I was recording, while recording it in the studio. So this is before the 301 version. And that, that just went absolutely nutso. Like, like it, it just sounds like, you know, the, the drums are coming out of the monitors. The yeah. the the clav is coming out of the amp, so you can hear that. But it's just raw and loose. But that something about that, just that authentic sort of crappy video, but still being something that a lot of people hadn't witnessed yet. Mm. Um, that one just went nuts, and that's been that would have been seen just you know tens of millions of times. Wow, that's been, man! I just keep getting all these like. <laughs> avid you know who make pro tools yeah, yeah they've they just they just rip the clip off you know they just download it and they post it on their their form they've posted it so many times on their twitter on their instagram their facebook pages and they credit me i was gonna say yeah that's good they do they do credit me and they give me um and it brings in a new influx of fans but if you look on on their pages it's like they've had They've had millions of views on their posts yeah. of it as well. Right. So, um, wow. so that one in particular would be, I'm sure, would be up there the highest. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny, you know. It's a, it's definitely when that does happen, all your socials just go. 
whoosh, they go up another, you know, 10,000 or whatever. Yeah. And then, and then basically it's just like, I think I'm in a good position. I'm lucky that I've got all this other stuff around it, you know, mm. can see though, get, get hooked in by that. I don't know, the, the viral sort of bait almost. Yep. And if they're really keen on it, they'll follow it or they might even do a bit of research and look a bit further. Yep. And then the fact that I've got this huge body of work and the seven albums and all these other live clips, you know, full songs, because that's the only thing that's going to make a fan is, you know, people watching full songs. Yep. I don't think watching little clips you're going to get a fan out of. You have to use that to try and get them in so then if you're lucky they'll watch a full song or a full concert. Yep. And, um, and if they like that, then I think you know, you've won someone over and potentially a, a new fan. So um, I'm lucky that I don't just have the viral bits yeah. and then nothing else. Otherwise I'd, I'd be nothing. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Um, do you think that's why, is that, do you think that's how Roger Waters found you? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. So yeah, another, um, he told me the solo one um, uh, that I did, at uh, Lazotte's in Newcastle. There's a video of that. That one went pretty crazy in organ solo. Right. And, yeah, he said if he he was searching for a Hammond organ player on the yeah, full of the band right. on the internet and um, he came across me, watched that video. He loved that and then, yeah, just like I said, he, he went in deeper and then found the blues on Broad Beach performance of 2016. And he was talking to me about various things that were happening in that performance that he loved, um, and particularly one of the songs, Still in Love, and um, and some of the things I was doing on that. And, uh, yeah, isn't that crazy? That's the world we live in now. It's amazing. It, uh, it is incredible. That it is. I, th- I think the only way in the past to get a gig like that or for me to even tour Europe the way I have would have been for me to either get a record deal, a big worldwide record deal, um, or go and move over there, you know, actually go and live in, you know, the US or live in uh, London, you know. But the fact that it's happened for me not from home, you know, um, it's amazing, incredible. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's awesome. All right, Lockie, man, thanks so much for, for chatting with me tonight. Um my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Mate, it's been cool, man. Um, I hope you <laughs> I don't mind. ramble on too much. No, nah, not at all. I hope you don't mind my weird questions about all the intricacies of your your uh, instruments and that kind of stuff. But um, all that stuff fascinates me. You know, I, I yeah, I dig it, man. It's really cool. Ah, oh, no, thank you. Anytime. Nah, thank sweet you. as. Um, yeah, <laughs> can't wait to see you play live. Um, I can't and, wait to play live. Yeah, sweet. Good luck. <laughs> good luck with the the sales. And everything with with the album and with everything else, and um, of yeah, course, cheers, Steve. yeah. Good luck with the the podcast. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. And um, it's great. It's, you know, this is another great thing about the new world, isn't it? You know, you being able to do put on your own show like this, and 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 have all these you know dedicated listeners come and hear you every week, and yeah, love it. Yeah, it's a trip. Thanks, man. Thanks so much, Lucky. Cheers, Steve. Yeah. All right, bro. Take it easy, bud. All see right, you. see ya. Bye.
for the horns of conviction, ladies and gentlemen. Please make him feel welcome. You know him. The legend on the drums. Please give it up for Mr. Jackie Barnes. 